Hello, I'm Paul Bristol and I'm working with the Scottish Communities Climate Action Network to find and share stories of community-led climate action. As we live through and continue to cope with the ongoing pandemic, there's been lots of talk around a new normal. For the first time, many of us have started to question what was so normal about how we lived before anyway. And there's an increased interest in the space where climate action meets social justice. A green and just recovery, universal basic income, ideas once out in the fringes may be finding their time. The next few months and years we'll see a battle to frame and tell that story, to make those changes. We need to take this opportunity to show how what we've seen in these last few months can help us imagine better and continue to make the case for action on the climate emergency. And so I want to learn more. Sometimes it maybe feels like everyone's just ploughing their own furrow, out in a limb, just getting on with it. But the collective effort across the country is remarkable. So over the next few months, I'm speaking to people and communities across Scotland to hear their stories of climate action, of hope and change. From big changes to small steps. I want to hear it all. And then together, we can look beyond the new normal to something better. I live in Greenock in Inverclyde, about 20 miles west of Glasgow. I've lived here my whole life, so I decided I'd start my podcast journey by taking a walk out my front door. About 15 minutes walk from my house is Belleville Community Garden, which has recently come to the fore as part of Inverclyde's community response to COVID-19. They've been doing good work for years though, and I, and I think they're a really nice example of that crossover between climate action and social justice, which is really important when you're thinking about post-industrial towns or places that have a hard time of it. I've got a bit of a soft spot for Bebel Community Garden because I spent a lot of my time growing up in the area nearby. My gran stayed in High Flats on Bebel Street, and in fact, those flats are where Bebel Community Garden's story gets started. This is Laura Riley from Bebel Community Garden. The group developed um, after the high flats were demolished, so seven high flats were demolished on this site, and they were massive high flats, one of the biggest in Europe. And that was a big change, not only to the landscape, but also to the community. Um, and the community were really very passionate that they didn't want any more development on that site, that they wanted the site, which is quite a sloping site, so it's not ideal for development in any case, but they wanted that site to, to be something for the community, so they toured round. It was brilliant, actually. They toured round different places, looking from skate parks to you know play areas, and they settled on a community garden because there were people there who, who loved growing but didn't have access to any outdoor space. And there's not really a lot of access to good quality urban green space around here. Um, so they felt that was important. And so it, it went from there. It started off with a little sort of um, shipping container, just that we've still got down the road. Um, we own a, a small area of the land. The rest of it, we have a, a permission to occupy from River Clyde Homes. Um, and yeah, it started from there. So it started with growing and projects looking with linking up with schools and it has mushroomed like you wouldn't believe and it's but the lovely thing is it's all been driven by community need by you know people from the community getting contact said oh have you ever thought about doing bikes would you so we do things from um we do bike repairs now um we do um we look at f food um surplus as well that's something we've gone into quite in quite a big way in the last couple of years because there is such a lot of food surplus in the area 
and, and trying to redistribute that in a way that that is you, gives people dignity, helps the environment um, in the local area. That can make a huge difference to people's outgoings. Um, so we have a community cafe on a Friday. Again, that's been really successful and popular. Um, before COVID, that was 50 people a week and we turn over the whole place to a cafe and we do something different every week. So we call it soup and a blether. So it's soups and other dishes. Um, but then there at the same time, we have tables that are devoted to whatever food surplus has come in that you know people encourage to take away sort of as much as they can. And we also have a network of 11 community fridge freezers within the community um, that we give out to. Again, people can just take what they want when they want. You know, there's no signing up, there's no weighing things, there's no paperwork. They just can come and help themselves because it helps the planet. Um, what else do we do? We've increased our number of, of school um, work. So we are involved with almost every school in Inverclyde now in some way, which is exciting. Um, we've just started a big um, campaign for teaching growing to teachers. So, I mean, that's a big thing. I think if you can give teachers confidence to be able to teach and talk about growing, then they can inspire, you know, generations of, of children. So we're on our second run of um, classes now, sort of twilight classes after school. And it's great because the teachers actually form a growing community within themselves. Um, we've now, we've got so much interest, we've separated it into sort of nursery, primary and secondary groups. So again, it's sort of tailored it to exactly what the, the students would be relevant for the students. Um, I'm trying to think what else we do. There's so much. It <laughs> just, it just yeah, mushrooms. And In the last few months, Belleville's role shifted significantly and they became a lifeline for many people during lockdown. So it was just fortuitous that we found ourselves able to, to deliver um, exactly what the community needed exactly the right time. So for example, with the bikes for key workers, um, so we, f we found that key workers couldn't get to their jobs because the um, buses were on a reduced service, they didn't want to take the bus, uh, and they were asking for bikes. So luckily, on the Christmas before, I we trained two or three people up uh, to be bike mechanics. Just so happened, and so we had a force right ready there to go. We had availability of bikes um, that we'd started to stockpile to, to 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 do this service. So we were able to offer that. I think the big one, obviously, was the food boxes. So on the first day of lockdown, we was the first day we sent out food boxes, food parcels. We had the access to surplus food. Um, we also had accounts with wholesalers like Booker's that we could access where, because at one point no one could access a lot of food. I mean, it was really quite scarce. People had been stockpiling. Um, so we had the access to food there. We had um, the van and some volunteers who were able to drive for us. So we very quickly could, could, could put something together in terms of food boxes. But the demand was just incredible. At one point we were turning over 80 boxes a day. And that is large boxes, that's seven days worth of food. And it was quality food as well, a lot of fresh fruit and vegetables. You know, it was fresh food, you know, like dairy food and frozen food as well. As someone who's worked in the third sector for many years, what was immediately striking was how quickly partnerships and arrangements were made to deliver a community response when it really mattered. And I could see that response tangibly, even on the street where I live, with deliveries of boxes to folk. People mobilised swiftly to deal with a shared emergency. There's been a new way of working which is very interesting um, in response to COVID. 
So it was a number of charities, like quite like-minded charities who were interested in the bigger picture, not just you know their little sort of plow, you know furrow to plow, um, got together at the start of COVID. Um, so it's ourselves, Your Voice, Branchton, In the Kip, Compassionate Inverclyde, and CVS. So what we did is we is we got together uh, three times a week on Zoom and we had like an agenda and it was like what are the problems what are the blocks to what you want to achieve what's the community saying that was interesting as well because we tapped into the covid volunteers who were set up all over Inverclyde, and we were able to tap in and help them because obviously they were unconstituted but they're very knowledgeable people it wasn't that they were lacking in any way you know but they were like the years on the ground like mutual us. aid groups, basically. Uh, mutual aid groups, yeah, yeah they, they sprung, up, sprung up spontaneously. And I think Inverclyde was much more organised, really, than, than many other areas in that respect. But we were able to use their insights. We were also able to use what resources we had as charities. So, for example, our phone was just ringing off the hook. We had one phone line and, you know, we would get off the phone and we'd have 30 missed calls. It was just ridiculous at one point. So your voice said, well, look, we've got... A bank of people who could answer phones for you that worked brilliantly well because they not only answered phones they could also triage in a way with the experience they had that we couldn't so people would be phoning them for a food box but they might actually have mental health issues that were you know that they hadn't really talked about before and got help they might have financial issues that they hadn't really you know they were new something's awful term new poor some people would you know newly finding themselves in situations they never thought they would and it's really hard often to ask for help, particularly to statutory authorities. It's really difficult to, to come to them and say, look, I've, you know, I'm really struggling. So they were, did a fantastic job signposting for us. Uh, that's, that's an alliance which I think we'll always have a special relationship for our two organisations after this. All sorts of services have adapted and shifted to cope with the pandemic. I was interested in hearing if the change had made Belleville look at their priorities differently. And what were the things they wanted to keep doing and build on? There's, there's lots. I think managing the, this new volunteer force that we've got, these new new people who suddenly have um, had this raised consciousness of, 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 of starting to volunteer within the community that they've probably never done before, have fantastic skill sets. They're working often, but they have got time. And some people found that, particularly if they suffer from anxiety or any sort of mental health issues, in fact, to be honest, they, I think they were helped as much as they helped us. They've come to us and said, you know what, I, I've, I've had you know, manic depression or anxiety all my life. And for the first time, I'm actually finding I, I haven't had an episode since I've started volunteering because I just am part of this cause of this greater good. And we're all supporting each other. Um, and you just have a belief in something and that, that can really carry you through if, you, if you're suffering from anxiety and mental health issues. So there's that. We really need to keep this this new workforce keep them engaged with Belleville and what we're about I think probably um, trying to address uh, and really make a difference to to food insecurity in the area so passionate about it Um, we really believe there should be a food strategy um, that we shouldn't be going ad hoc in these things anymore it's such a big issue Um, and if you read the LOIP um, you know the document that the that the council works to, and um, there's the second priority which is inequality. Actually, if you read through the inequality part of it, food isn't really mentioned, and it's so important. If we can't get it right, if we, we if we're if 
if people are finding that they can't afford to feed their children each week, there's something really going wrong that we have to address even before we start addressing lots of other things. I mean, if you can't be fed, then you know that's such a basic human right. So we're going to be pushing for um, developing a food strategy and a really comprehensive way of, of looking right from a moment of total crisis, you haven't got anything to eat right there and then, right the way up to you know longer term you know ways of, of increasing people's income. I think you have to look right the way through and there has to be a really comprehensive response. So I think now, I think people are maybe listening to our voice. We're only a small local charity, but I, I think it's more and more important to listen to, to people who are on the ground than ever before and that come, coming together as a community to try and solve some of these issues. I mean, they have done in boroughs in, I've done quite a lot of reading recently about the responses in other areas to food insecurity. And um, there are some um, boroughs, for example, Southwark in, in London, they've done a fantastic fantastic pieces of work mapping food swamps and food deserts which is quite interesting so you know a food desert where you haven't got access to to local good quality food you know within easy walking distance and a food swamp where you're surrounded by sort of takeaways and, and bad fast food and we, we know where they are all in Inverclyde so to try and address that so across an area those would be different places so like because it feels like we're in a bit of a food swamp I would guess yeah, in Inverclyde yeah, mostly yeah, yeah would that yeah. be so I think you'd map Inverclyde to see right where are the places that really most most need the help where are the places where people are living in you know housing again which would indicate that that you know that's an area of high poverty that that might need more help and I think we have to be much more proactive because I think it's it's horrible for people and the indignity is just you know awful um, they we need to get out to them I, I think and you know and it was great when we were starting to finish the, the food box project, we were taking each and every person who was calling in, because by the end of it, people weren't calling in because they were self-isolating with COVID or they were ill or they couldn't get food in the supermarkets. They were calling because they, they, they weren't able to purchase food. So we were able to look at each and every one of them and, and signpost them and, and make sure that they had you know somewhere else to, to go to that their benefits were looked at and, and for the some with some of them for the first time they had a really comprehensive review of what was going on with them and so I think we can do that and there's so much food surplus you know so much food surplus we need to start um, evening that out and redistributing that um, across Inverclyde that will make a huge difference. I recorded this chat with Laura a few weeks ago now and since then Belleville have indeed launched a call for a food strategy for Inverclyde they don't mess about part of what I like about them and it certainly seems to work. People seem to be drawn to it as a place to work and volunteer. I asked Laura why she thinks that is. I was trying to get to grips with this the other day actually and thinking what what is it about Belleville? We call it like a little bit of Belleville magic. It, I think it's a way of thinking. It's it's a, it's um, a positivity. It's a, it's a genuine compassion and kindness for other people. You know, it's it's not cliqueness. It's not it's working around a person and their skills and what they enjoy rather than setting a, jo a strict job description or a work program that people fit into we fit around people in terms of our um our being a community garden it's almost like a, a cover <laughs> i think if uh, just as, as time's gone on growing is obviously really important but we're not sort of 
fine class growers. We won't ever get first in first first in show for the quality of our carrots or anything like that. I think what we are is is because we are a community garden, almost just a community garden. We don't set up any huge expectations, and so actually people feel at ease when they come here. That's really important that people feel comfortable and at ease when they come here. They don't feel intimidated in any way. And sometimes when you feel at ease, particularly if you suffer trauma, you feel comfortable. That's a huge, big first step. And from that, it's amazing what you can achieve when your guard's down. When your guard's down. I love that. Stealth change. For Belleville, the focus of work during lockdown was about face-to-face delivery of services, but there were many other groups here in Greenock who continued to deliver their climate action activity, just in a different way. This is Karen Orr from Rig Arts, a socially engaged arts charity who deliver in Inverclyde and across Scotland. I think we've been kind of working in the area of climate change eh, and through the Climate Challenge Fund for the last maybe five years. And it started with a project called Green Screen Inverclyde, where we worked with young people and community groups and um, school children to research, you know, about climate ch- about climate change and how to try and change behaviour and uh, reducing, uh, reusing, recycling. And then we added another R, recreating. So, and the the main output of that, as well as all the fun we had through the process of recycling and getting the kids to measure their food waste and reduce that, and education, we made a, a video, a, a film, an animation film, um, and Inverclyde Council to this day still use that film, so as a kind of educational tool. Um, then it went on. Uh, obviously, we got involved with the Broomhill project, um, and we had a base in the flat at Broomhill Court, and we developed it into. Um, recycle, upcycle. So it started with kind of like furniture upcycling, textiles, then we did Plastic Fantastic project which really focused on plastics Um, and again the same message throughout the whole thing, a small change on your part can have a big impact. Some people feel well what do I know, what can I do and the whole thing that we're always saying yeah but if every, every person makes that small change then eventually it'll have a bigger impact and as we're learning stuff as you're learning stuff then in your family you're teaching that you know and that kind of a what a ripple effect rigs fixing fashion project was all set to go just before lockdown which is of course when things changed for everyone the initial outline of the project um, was that we were going to do sort of three community workshops a week one uh, to be developed with a steering group so again, everything we're trying to do is we're genuinely trying to co-create with people. We're, you know, not just us having a project, you take part, you've had a great time, you've learned stuff. And so I think as we're evolving, we're understanding more about the value of actually getting people involved in the decision-making process. So we're trying to be ethical and do that. So we create, the first thing we've done was created a steering group. Um, so some folk who were really involved with the previous climate challenge fund projects and I must say Paul we had a year's break where we never got funding um, and that's when we went back and we rethought about well, how can we change this because again you can get a wee bit stayed in what you're doing and actually we did community consultations with the community um, and also like a MailChimp surveys and that's when the textiles idea came up and fixing fashion and then that was developed so with the steering group we decided we'll have three kind of at the time we thought physical workshops a week 
So maybe one um, uh, looking looking at fashion and techniques and upcycling clothes and stuff. Another one being like um, actual a bit activists in terms of art installations because obviously um, the visual arts is their kind of background and, and what we love um, along with film. And uh, and another one practical repair skills. You know, so people could just learn how do you darn like a pair of socks how would you fix how would you fix a hem on it really practical stuff um and at the background of that as well making kind of wee video logs of like how to do because we've done that previously and they've always been popular and sharing them on the big arts vimeo and kind of youtube um and then also in this one we, we thought we'll make a film like a documentary type film about f a fast fashion as an educational resource so there's a bit of legacy after the project so we just found out that we got the fixing fashion project was successful and then the lockdown happened but quite quickly we felt that we could see a lot of groups that we work work with and um, especially older people and um, that feeling of being isolated and trapped in their houses because a lot of people were were shielding especially folk who were previously involved and is still involved with the Broomhill project. And we made up uh, just the uh, sewing packs and stuff. So what we've been doing, I've been like a delivery person over lockdown for three years at a time, for <laughs> largs up to Kilmacombe in Port Glasgow, delivering packs so that everybody had like basic equipment and that nobody could feel sort of left out that if they needed embroidery thread or needles or fabric glue or embroidery wheels and things like that. Laurie Duffy has been responsible for developing the project and running the online sessions. She joined our discussion via Zoom. People love the fact that um, they get their little packs and they can do whatever they, they want and they can also do it in their own time as well because although we have the online um, Zoom sessions that are live every um, second day, um, we do film the workshops as well, so if anybody who can't make the workshop, they can always just go back and have a look at the videos, or if someone's missed something in the live Zoom session, they can just go back and watch the videos. So we've tried to make sure that it's, access it's as accessible as possible for everybody. Um, we've also been sending out um, lists or like requirements lists of materials and stuff but with that you get a step-by-step -step guide that you can follow along with the class as well so um a lot of people have been doing it kind of at their own pace and in their own way and a lot of people just join to watch and just to chat away and then they go away and they do it in their own time um a lot of people have said that it has been re like re like a respite for them and that um even just going away and doing it in their own time and just focusing on something takes their mind off of everything that's happening right now. As well as delivering online, RIG have continued to plan on how to deliver the rest of the project. So what we're doing at the minute is everybody remotely is working on t-shirts and we're kind of doing, see always like Frankie goes to Hollywood and the big text and the message. So we're, we're doing something that obviously uh, we didn't know when things were going to open up or shopping centres or whatever. So we figured if everybody works on an individual piece and then we'll a big kind of like washing line type thing if we physically do put it somewhere or it could be like a, an online campaign where everybody's hanging their stuff up wherever they are 
um, and then all these kind of messages. Um, but we really do want to develop that kind of using art as an activist tool type of thing with a climate challenge message, which is a wee bit different. And that that's a bit that's exciting me. And then the fashion yeah. show, that will be, oh my goodness, God knows. <laughs> we want to make sure that everything that we make as well can be like repurposed and reused. So with the, the washing line idea, it's like a giant exaggerated washing line. Um, these t-shirts will then can then be used, you know, by the participants. They can keep them, that's their t-shirts. But also it can then be used in the fashion show as well. So we want to make sure that even though we're doing these big high impact installations, that they can also be broken back down again and repurposed or reused elsewhere. So it's not as though we're going to make this big installation and then that big installation is just going to sit. We want to make sure that it's as environmentally friendly as possible. So every aspect of the project can be broken back down again and reused for something else. So that's what's quite nice is that the not only do the participants get to keep the stuff that they work on, it can also be used in the fashion show as well as the installation, well, the first installation, and then hopefully the second and the third one, it'll be the same. Like lots of folk, I'm sometimes overwhelmed by the enormity of climate change. So finding small, practical, visible changes feels like a step in the right direction. The documentary, that is something that we are really focusing on, is the impact it can be made at a local level. Um, and when we're talking about fast fashion in the documentary, we want to talk about it at the kind of local level that we work at rather than, and obviously refer back to the global impact, but we want to make sure that when the education is there, that um, people can relate to it as well, because I think as Karen says, people, because they're not 100% aware of the processes that things go through, they don't see their personal impact. So that's why like, we wanted to do a lot of myth busting on Facebook and uh, on our social medias as well as sharing a lot of information because we're hoping that coming out of this, the change will be that people are just more aware of their personal impact, but also you know, what a community can do together and come together to do and how much of an impact that can make on a social level, but also on an environmental level. Um, so we try and share as much as possible um, on social media, just about the facts of the impacts that we can all have and maybe some um, interactive things that you can check your own individual impacts and what you actually put out by answering a few questions and stuff. So, and I think that the community that are taking part right now enjoy seeing that and they enjoy seeing their individual impacts, but because the way that we frame how you can make a difference is through creativity. I think that that's the best way that you can that you can do it. Um, one of the ladies that her feedback was that um, it's so creative and so fun and the greatest gift that you can give back to the world is to reuse and repair and to mend and to hold on to stuff for as long as you can. And that's all the ethos that we've been kind of chatting about in the project. And then at the end of the email, she was in her big capital letter, she was like, I am an eco-warrior now. <laughs> so it was, so not only is that the social impact being felt, um, it was also, it is also, people are still thinking of the environmental side of it and the creative side. And it's all, it's all very relevant. Um, so hopefully as we go on and as the world changes that, People feel that more now, I think, with everything that's been happening. 
So, a quick recap. Belvo reminded us about the importance of partnership working with other third sector partners, a local housing association, and critically, local people directly at a neighbourhood level. And I think that having helped feed vulnerable members of our community for the last few months, reflecting on that and looking towards a local food strategy shows how the pandemic has both sharpened the focus and expanded the horizons of many organisations. There's something important too, I think, about RIG taking time out to rethink their projects after a year without Climate Challenge funding, and then putting local people at the centre of that discussion. Every community needs a bespoke approach to climate change. RIG's kit boxes and videos have made their programmes even more accessible to people than they've been before, reaching more people than they would have done delivering traditionally face-to-face. Thanks to Laura Riley from Belleville Community Garden. You can catch up with the team on their Facebook page where you can enjoy cooking with resident chef Johnny and some mindfulness sessions in the garden with Laura. Thanks also to Karen Orr and Laurie Duffy from Rig Arts. You can watch lots of fixing fashion videos on Rig's Facebook page and their Vimeo page and you'll be able to see their fast fashion documentary early next year. Thanks for listening to 1000 Better Stories from the Scottish Communities Climate Action Network. Next time, we're going to get lost in the woods. If there's something happening in your community, be sure to let us know. You can drop me a line at stories at scottishcommunitiescan.org.uk or on Twitter as well, at scottcommunitiescan and on Facebook, just search for Scottish Communities Climate Action Network. Over the next few months, we'll be running workshops to help you tell and share your story of climate action. Check out the website and sign up for our newsletter to keep up to date.